Hear this word, you cows of Bashan. That's a quote from the prophet Amos. Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. That's a quote from Martin Luther King Jr. Oh, wait. That's also a quote from the prophet Amos. Welcome to Daily Gospel, equipping you to know God through His Word and His Son, Jesus Christ. My name is Keith, and this is Brandon, and we are pastors here in Santa Cruz, California at Gospel Community Church. Very excited today. We are getting into the minor prophets. It's going to be great. What's so minor about these prophets? Well, they were all under 18 when they wrote their books. Oh, wow. Crazy. That's a a Bible joke. Mm -hmm. Um, No, uh, they're just shorter. They're just shorter. That's, That's really the reason why they're called minor prophets, although... Daniel is shorter. Than, anyway, I, I just it's the scope of their of their message, and in the Hebrew Bible, they're actually all one book. Ah. So they're they're not. It's not the minor prophets in in the Hebrew Bible. It's the book of the twelve. So they're all together in one book. That makes sense. So the text is all the same. It's just how they're arranged. But um, and the the reason for that is probably because. The major prophets all have sort of a comprehensive message, mm-hmm. right? Judgment, sort of why judgment's coming, salvation. Right? It's kind of gets the whole scope mm-hmm. of, of God's story. The minor prophets by themselves don't have that. They kind mm-hmm. of have pieces of the story. So together, though, they paint a fuller picture. Mm-hmm. So that seems to be what's going on here. So they, they, together they all span about three centuries and show that God is working for the judgment and salvation of his people. That makes sense. So it's it's an interesting uh, collection. So we're going to have a lot to cover in the next uh, few weeks. By the way, happy holidays. Yes, happy holidays. Isn't it great to be in the holiday season? It is it was, great. Wonderful. It's, it's We're so warm still that we're able to wear these t-shirts. It's amazing. Cruz, California. Yeah, that's yeah. great. <laughs> um, so yeah, so a couple themes in the Minor Prophets. Um, covenant is a big one. Typically, it's that they're breaking the covenant. Typically. But, so that's not great. We have, um, we, the sin I feel of the like people. we get the repeated theme of prostitution and stuff. Prostitution, yeah. yeah. I mean, it doesn't come up that much, just in Hosea, really. But, you know, well, why not? Let's do that, and there's a theme. Judgment, obviously, so they sin, so therefore judgment is a big theme. We're going to get used to this. Like, yeah. Hopefully you have by now already. If, like, yeah. you know God's judging people a lot. <laughs> <laughs> like I mean, He's also blessing that, people a lot, too. Yeah. Okay, he's promising things, but yes. Like, but, if you think that the... Christian faith does not include judgment. It just shows that you have never read the Bible, <laughs> like for more than a couple of pages. It's yeah. just every. I mean, I'm not saying it's like all negative, um, or that's all like hopeless. But that is a huge theme, right? Justice the and judgment. Just, yeah, right. you can't avoid it. And through that judgment, there's a specific image of the day of the Lord, which mm. we've seen a little bit of. But that's going to come out a lot in minor prophets. The day of the Lord being this ultimate picture of God's judgment. Uh, rescue of his people, mm-hmm. but really destruction of the nations in order to to save. And then the final theme is, you know, we see salvation and restoration as well. So it's not all dark and gloomy. There's a lot of really good things. We'll see some really cool prophecies of Christ. Um, yeah, we'll we'll see a lot of good stuff. Awesome. So what books of the prophet, uh, the minor prophets are we covering today? Yeah, we're going to cover Hosea, Joel, and Amos. Awesome. Very cool. Qu- quite a bit of ground to cover. Um, and Hosea, we're going to start with Hosea. Hosea is such a great book. Mm. It's 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 very interesting book. Um, it's very complicated. I, yeah, I think it starts out just very uh, very strangely. To say yes. The least, so. Yeah, the first three chapters. It's kind of like the book of Job, where it's like everyone knows the first two chapters and the last chapter, and then like everything in the middle. It's like no one reads that, um, even <laughs> though it's amazing. But and with Hosea, 
the, I, I read someone they were saying that basically Hosea is trying to compete for jo- with Job for the most confusing chapters in the Bible. <laughs> so after chapter three, it becomes like everyone talks about one through three, but mm-hmm. after that it becomes very difficult. So we're not going to, and we're not going to get super deep into this book. So I'm sad to say, you know, we have to cover three books in a short period of time. But um, yeah, Hosea is about a man who marries a prostitute mm-hmm. at the command of God. So the prophet marries a prostitute. Uh, and, it's a yeah, weird combo. And that's that's the weird part, the command of God. Yes. And, and it's like the, his marriage is going to be a picture of Israel's relationship with God. Right. So in other words, not a flattering one. This takes place in the Northern Kingdom. Mm-hmm. Um, this, so there's, you know, obviously there was a split between Northern and Southern Kingdom. So this takes place in the reign of Jeroboam II, which is, you know, right before the fall of Israel into the hands of Assyria. Good king, bad king. Um, bad. Hmm. Yeah, bad, bad boy. Like most of the Northern guys, I guess. Yeah, well, every single one of them, actually. Yeah, <laughs> so that's that's how it's easy. Uh, so this is sort of a golden age for Israel that it led to decadence and indulgence. And so God gave them a lot of prosperity and that led to excess which in idolatry and all that stuff. So, I mean, they've, they were in idolatry for a long time, let's be real, since Jeroboam the first. So Hosea is he's sometimes called the deathbed prophet, mm-hmm. kind of sad, because his ministry takes place right before the fall of uh, the Northern Kingdom. Mm-hmm. Northern Kingdom. <laughs> and then we see this theme of marriage and sex. Obviously, he's married, marrying a prostitute. So this is a big metaphor. It's, it's about God's love for his people, his covenant love, his faithfulness. So marriage is that metaphor. And this idea of knowing somebody is mm-hmm. a big one throughout this. Um, God knows us in a deep sense, in an in a intimate sense. And, um, and then we see God's judgment and his jealousy throughout this. So um, yeah, so let's, let's jump into it. The outline of Hosea, just a simple one, is chapters 1 through 3, Hosea's marriage. Yep. Chapters 4 to 14, Hosea's prophecies. Cool. Very straightforward. Awesome. Well, I think we're going to jump into some key passages. We're not going to talk about every single thing uh, in this book that we could talk about, but let's just start with chapter 1 and see where we go. Yeah, so chapter 1, verse 2. When the <laughs> Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take to yourself a wife of whoredom, mm. and have children of whoredom. Great. For the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. What a word. What a start. You, when you start a speech... They t- teach you to get an attention grabber, right? Something that just the, really the, the gets people's attention. So this this is a classic one. This is probably the best attention grabber in history. <laughs> Use the word whoredom. I, I didn't even know whoredom was a word when I was younger. Like anyway, yeah, it's crazy, right? So why would God why would God do this? Obviously, a prostitute. This is not a good thing. Prostitution, bad. So God's not condoning. That's this. questionable in today's culture. Well, yes, we, we, a lot of people think it's great, but it's not questionable in God's word. Yes. Um, but sometimes people are forced into prostitution, right? The traffic, things like that. Mm-hmm. Gomer, so, so Hosea's wife is named Gomer. Mm-hmm. Super sexy, I know. Um, she is not forced into prostitution. This is, she's very willing. Mm-hmm. She's, she's, it, it, and so she's a picture of Israel in this, right? right. So what happens in verses three to nine is she bears three different children. And the children have significant symbolic names. Mm-hmm. And there's the, the language of how it talks about the conception of each child, it becomes less and less clear who, who it belongs to. Mm. So the first time, verse 3, says she conceived and bore him a son. Mm-hmm. So that's clearly Hosea's child. Right. And then in verse 6, she conceived again and bore a daughter. 
So she conceived again and didn't bore him a daughter, just says she bore a daughter. So the question is, is that, is that, you know, it says she conceived again, so maybe that's Hosea's, but Mm -hmm. it doesn't say it's his daughter. And the third time in verse eight, it says she conceived and bore a son. Hmm. So the language becomes more and more unclear because she's an unfaithful wife. She's still prostitute. She's still, yeah, working um, in that trade, I guess. Um, she, the three kids, so first is Jezreel, because God says he will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. So there's going to be this defeat. Mm-hmm. Then the second one is called Loruhama, which is no mercy. Oh. No mercy. So I, you have a daughter. What's your daughter's name? Your oldest daughter? Mercy. Mercy. Okay. So when you named your daughter Mercy, I said, Keith, you should pick a more biblical name. <laughs> yes. Mercy is not a biblical name. No mercy is, though. Yes, it truly truly is. I see it right here, and uh, I'm glad I did not name her a biblical name. <laughs> <laughs> because God's going to have no mercy on his people, right? I mean, let's be real, though. You probably, do call, you probably are calling her no mercy very often, right? Like, no mercy, no. Oh, Stop yeah. it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Actually, so, yeah. So I guess that's part of having know, a kid. The truth of the Bible says. So no that, mercy. You know. Maybe your next, next daughter. Um, and then. <laughs> We see the third child is named not my people, not my people. That's so my, that's uh, rough, right? Because again, it's a picture of is this is this even Hosea's child? And he's he's called not my people, which seems to indicate it's probably not his mm-hmm. his child. And the reason why God names him that or has a name in that is for he says, For you are not my people, and I am not your God. That's a huge statement. Right. Right, you're, because of your faithlessness, I'm I'm not your God anymore. Mm-hmm. Whew, there's like there's no hope for Israel if that's the reality. Right. So verse ten, we see that God's going to judge. Um, he's but he's not going to judge forever. There's going to be redemption. So he's cutting them off. But there's a there's a picture of redemption. And so in chapter two, we see more details about Israel's spiritual adultery. Yeah. Now, what a what a start with chapter one, man. That's crazy. Yeah, it's intense, man. Um, so really, the, the entire book is kind of summed up in that first chapter. You have the the picture of adultery. You have God's judgment coming, and then you have that there is going to be hope yeah. after that. So that's kind of the whole book um, in in miniature. In chapter two. We see more of these details. So I find chapter two is really interesting. It reminds me of, of Ezekiel 16, as we mentioned, mm-hmm. right? Ezekiel 16 is more the, the more lengthy yeah. um, chapter. But I, I, it's just amazing. So he's talking about how she's unfaithful, how she depends upon her lovers, yeah. these who she trusts in spiritually for her sustenance. Right. It's yeah, just like Ezekiel. The same sort of stuff, right? That it, God's actually the one giving her what she needs, and yet she believes that it's these false lovers, these mm-hmm. idols, these foreign nations that she, you know, uh, allies with. And so verse 6 says, Therefore I will hedge up her way with thorns. I will build a wall against her so that she cannot find her paths. God does this so often for us, right? He he makes sin difficult. He puts things in our way to keep us from going into sin. Hmm. And we should be very glad when he does, Mm -hmm. that God is that loving, that he finds ways to block us from going into the full depths of our sin. I'm sure we can all look at times in our lives when, we see that God did that. Verse 7, Then she will say, I will go and return to my first husband, for it was better for me then than now. So God's going to put suffering in their in their path in order to turn them back to him. Right. Verse 8, and this sounds so much like Ezekiel 16, And she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, the oil, and who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. 
Therefore, I will take back my grain in this time, my wine in this season. She's going to take away the things he had given to her in order to cause suffering, in order to bring her in, back into relationship mm-hmm. with him. So this is what God this is what God is doing. But there is hope, right? Mm-hmm. There is hope. Verse 14, behold, I will lure her and bring her into wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a di- door of hope. This is where Achan what the, the sin of Achan happened. So right, so Achan took uh, things from Jericho that were committed to God that were supposed to be destroyed, and then they went and fought AI, lost at AI because of the sin in the camp from Achan. Mm-hmm. If you remember this, this is the book of Joshua. I don't have the chapter written down here, but um, but Achan is in the book of Joshua, probably I don't know chapter eight, nine, somewhere around there. So he's saying that even in this place where they had to, you know, destroy Achan, his family, like it was such a horrible thing, that there's going to be hope there. And it's going to be like the Exodus. Mm. And verse 16 says, In that day, the curse, Lord, you will call me my husband, and no longer will you call me my Baal. So Baal was a Baal just meant meant husband essentially, right? It meant Lord, mm-hmm. but it was a it was just a common word for husband. But he's saying, I'm going to remove that name because that's also associated with the Baals, the false idols. Right. Remove that name from your vocabulary, and instead you'll call me my man. It's kind mm-hmm. of the, my, it's like the, you know, another word, but it's less, less common of a word for husband mm-hmm. and more just meaning man. So it, the whole idea is he's going he's gonna to restore them and remove any desire for idolatry mm-hmm. from them. And then in verse 19, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love, and in mercy, I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. Hmm. So there is hope. So God is a faithful husband, who even though his wife is adulterous, even though he shouldn't have mercy, even though these are not his people because they've been unfaithful, he's going to still be faithful and, right. and wed them again and restore them. And then in chapter 3, there's an interesting, right? It, it, basically, he, he gets together a bunch of... He has to go and redeem his wife, right? So she's gotten into debt mm-hmm. um i don't i don't know exactly you don't know exactly why but she's she's with another man she's in his possession maybe she's you know gotten in debt because of i don't know addictions or maybe she's like the prostitute in ezekiel who's paying other people right uh, it's kind of hard to tell but he has to redeem her and pay her debt and so in verse two he bought her for 15 shekels of silver a homer and a lethic of barley so he is paying her in money and partly in food hmm. on hand. So in other words, uh, you wouldn't do this if you had the money, right? Mm-hmm. It's like you, you don't have enough money to pay, so you're also getting stuff out of your cupboards and paying. Right. So he's giving everything he has for her and to restore that relationship, to bring her back. Mm-hmm. And verse 5 says, Afterward the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. So there's this reference of the Messianic king, this restoration that's going to happen in the last phase of redemptive history, known as the latter days, right. which we're in since the time of, of Jesus. Yeah, and we can never forget, don't love cakes of raisins in this uh, chapter. <laughs> cakes of raisins? Where's that? Um Verse 1b, towards the end of it, in Israel, oh, then they may they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. Aphrodisiacs. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So oysters? Oysters, um, yeah. Wine, I, I it is weird, though. Yeah. Like, oh, raisin cakes. <laughs> mm. yeah. Anyway, okay, chapter uh, 4. 
No, no, no. We're, we're, we're skipping, skipping ahead. We're skipping ahead. Chapter six is an important passage. So, I, like I said, four to fourteen, um, it's it's kind of it's tough. It's tough. There's a lot <laughs> going on here. Um, we had a we had my community group a couple sessions ago. Oh, you guys, you guys went through. Yeah, huh? yeah. Casey was like, I want to try. I want something different. Let's go through Hosea. And I was dumb, and I was like, Sure, why not? <laughs> and it was like, uh every week it's like what is going on well the first couple weeks were great and then it was yeah very challenging nice you guys um, get the whole thing we did yeah wow, we impressive. did chapter 6 verses 1 through 3 so it talks about God's resurrection of his people verse 3 said, or sorry chapter 6 verse 1 come let us return to the Lord for he has torn us that he may heal us he has struck us down and he will bind us up after two days he will revive us on the third day he will raise us up so and then he says verse 3 let us no, let us press on to know the, the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. Hmm. So he's speaking here of, of the resurrection, that God's love extends even beyond death. Mm-hmm. That even when God's people die, he will still find a way to marry them again. His love is that powerful. Right. Um, it goes beyond the grave. So, And then he has a you know, beautiful passage in, in verses 4 and following. So just a real expression of God's love in the fact that he's going to resurrect his people. So that's mm. you know a figurative thing in the sense that he's going to bring back Israel right. to kind of resurrect a nation. But also, it's, we know it's true in the ultimate sense of the bodily resurrection of believers. Yeah, That's, a, that's very literally true as well. I think all these little snippets of you know the reunion of God and man is super encouraging in these in, yeah. as we read through the prophets here. <clears throat> Chapter 10, just a quick... Snippet here from chapter ten, verse twelve. Really famous verse, and we saw that saw a, a verse reflecting this. And was it in Isaiah? Where do we see that this verse? But anyway, uh, someone will someone will remember. Yeah. Chapter ten, verse twelve. Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap steadfast love, break up your fallow ground, for it is Isaiah. time to seek the Lord that He may come and rain righteousness upon you. Yeah. Yeah. You have a you have a cross reference on your Bible. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure there is. But Isaiah 45, I think. Isaiah 45. Beautiful, beautiful passage, though, right? That, there's, uh, that there is hope, right? Seek God, that he can restore and redeem. Mm. Chapter 11, really important passage here. Chapter 11, verse 1 says, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. So God's speaking back to the Exodus and saying, I've, I've loved Israel at that point, and I redeemed them through the Exodus. So mm. it's a past tense statement. Yeah. And then they, he says, the more they were called, the more they went away. So they, they turned to idols. They turned away from me. So I called them. I loved them. I cared for them. And yet they were disobedient and stubborn. Verse 3 says, yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them by their arms. But they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with the bands of love. And I became to them as one who eases the yoke on the, their jaws. And I bent down to them and fed them. So... What an incredible expression of the intimate relationship God has with his people. He's this father leading his child and teaching him how to walk. That's a very personal thing, right? So he's he's saying, this is, I have so much love for my people, I have so much care for my people. And then he goes on in verses 8 and 9 where he says, How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? These are... Cities in the valley of Sodom and Gomorrah. Mm-hmm. We see this in Genesis 14. My heart recoils within me. My passion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. 
I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am a I am God and not a man, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. So he's saying, I have compassion, I have love for my people. I, I can't. I love you too much to go on punishing you like this. So I'm, I, there is hope here. Mm. Obviously, there's a lot of judgment as well, but yeah. there is an ultimate hope. And then chapter 13, we actually see a return of this resurrection theme in verse 14. Really famous passage. I shall ransom them from the power of Sheol. I shall redeem them from death. Oh, death, where are your plagues? Oh, Sheol, where is your sting? This is, I mean, this is incredible passage, right, that, that is used later on by the, the Apostle Paul. Mm-hmm. So this, again, there's this resurrection theme. So in order for God to overcome their their spiritual adultery, he's going to have to judge, but he's also going to redeem and resurrect. Right. So God's going to have to bring life where there wasn't life before. That's the only hope that we have. Yeah. So, I mean, some great, great passages in Hosea. Oh, that's great awesome. overall message, obviously, the love of God to his people in spite of their faithlessness, but also just some great individual passages there. Yeah. Good memory verses. For sure. I'm, I'm always encouraged by, you know, whenever there's judgment, there's also hope placed in it, right? Oh, yeah. And so, yeah, it's, so, it's such a shame that we don't want to talk about judgment and justice of God because there's always hope attached to it. Yeah, so. exactly. Okay, well, let's jump into the next book. We're yeah. going to do some uh, work in Joel right now, right? Joel. So Joel, we'll spend a little bit of time in Joel. Joel <laughs> is about a plague of locusts that's come upon Israel. Mm-hmm. And it's a sign of you know this. It's a fairly normal thing to happen in, in the in the you know Middle East. So why is this such a big deal? Well, it's a sign of God's immediate judgment, but it's a pointer that the prophet's going to use to point to God's future judgment. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be a warning. And this is how any disaster we face is. Mm-hmm. It's a wake up call for us to see our need to repent, to come to, to God. So. The, the, the locusts are going to be depicted throughout. You might be confused at some of the imagery here because the locusts are depicted as if they're an army. Mm-hmm. But it's pointing to this reality of if they don't repent, God's going to send an army worse than the locusts yeah. that will destroy much worse than the locusts. But locusts, I mean, they're brutal. Right. They'll just come in as a swarm and just devour all of your crops. Mm-hmm. You have no food. You die. Yeah. Like, it's, it was a terrible thing. Yeah, it's, um, well, it's still, super hard for us to understand, but, but yeah. like, what if a bunch of giant locusts came here and they ate everything in the stores. What if a bunch of IRS agents came and devoured your bank account? Wow, you know? I'm pretty, that happens actually. Yeah, quite yeah. Well. I'm sure it does, not to me, but it's not <laughs> much there. Um, but let's look at the outline. I, I adapted this from Longman and Dillard and their outline. It's, it's pretty straightforward, but chapter one is the immediate disaster. So the disaster now, which is the locusts. Mm-hmm. Chapter two, one to 17, is the coming disaster, the which Lord. is the day of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... Chapter 2, verse 18 to the very end is God's salvation and judgment. Mm. So God's going to fix the locust problem that they're dealing with now and restore the land. But he's going to look to the end of redemptive history and the final salvation that he'll bring as well. Mm. So a few key passages. Again, keeping it really really brief, but we see in chapter 1 this talk of locusts, this imagery in verses 5 through 7. And, and really throughout, but that's it's very, uh, you know, for a nation has come up against my land powerful and beyond number. Mm-hmm. Its teeth are lion's teeth and it has the fangs of a lioness. So these are obviously little tiny bugs, but that's it. when there's millions of them at one time, right. he's saying this is an army that's going to destroy. And so this should be a warning to you. And in verse 15, he introduces this idea of the day of the Lord, right? Mm-hmm. Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is near and as destruction from the Almighty, it comes. Mm. 
Is not the food cut off before our eyes, joy and gladness from the house of our God. So this day of judgment is coming, and so we have to be warned about it now. And chapter 2 goes into this more, right? So he kind of hints at that, and chapter 2 really gets into the day of the Lord. Warn people is the idea. Blow the trumpet, verse 1. For the day of the Lord is coming, it is near, and it's going to be bad. That's the idea, right? Um, it's going to be bad. And so God speaks to this, speaks to the, the seriousness of the day of the Lord, what's going to happen, that this army is going to come. But we also see a lot of hope woven throughout, as is very normal in the prophets, right? Verses 12 to 14 are a beautiful depiction of repentance. Mm-hmm. Beautiful passage. God says, Yet even now declares the Lord, Return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. So tear your hearts, not your garments. They would, they would mourn, of course, by tearing their clothes, by showing this outward sign of how sad they were. And he's saying your heart should be broken because mm. of your sin. That's what God really wants. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Mm. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him. And I, I love that so much. So God's saying repent, right? Have a broken heart over your sin. Turn to him, and God, who knows whether God will be gracious and will leave a blessing instead of judgment. Right. And that's, of course, what God does. So that's a great passage. We, we go on a little here, but verse 25, I love verse 25 as well. It's just this picture of God restoring, fixing what is broken in the short term, and he's going to look at what's in the long term as well. But verse 25 says, I will restore to you the years the swarming locust has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army, which I sent among you. So God's going to take what they've lost, the, the time, the resources, all that, and restore it to mm. them. So that's, that's what God does. And God does that to us in so many ways, right? He can take years that were lost and, in a sense, restore them, give to us uh, what we were looking for and so much more. Right. Um, verse 26, 27, just a beautiful, beautiful picture, right? You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrous with, with, wondrously with you and my people shall never again be put to shame. Mm. You shall know that I am the midst of Israel, that I am the Lord your God, and there is none else. And my people shall never again be put to shame. Just love that. Love that imagery. And then we get, at the in the very end here, we get into more of that future hope. Mm-hmm. So God fixes what the immediate problem, restores his people, he's dwelling with his people, but let, then, then he looks at the very end. Mm-hmm. So he says, a switch in verse 28, and it will come to pass afterward, so this is that sort of latter days language right. that we've seen a lot through the prophets speaking to this last phase in redemption that again starts with Jesus's death, resurrection, and ascension, mm-hmm. and of course the coming of the Spirit. So verse 28 speaks to the coming of the Spirit. It shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my flesh, my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions, even on the male and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit. Mm. So this is this is very important, very very uh, very pivotal passage in the Bible right. speaking to the coming of God's spirit and the, how it's going to affect God's people. Right. That the ordinary people will have an equal um, dose of the spirit so to speak, right? Mm-hmm. Share in the spirit of God as in, in the important people. Mm-hmm. You know, the men of I was reading. I think, I think this was in uh, Tremper Longman. He he was saying that in those in those days, that the men would start the mornings by thanking God that they were not slaves, Gentiles, or women. 
Like, thank you, God. I'm, I'm none of those three things, slave, Gentile, or woman. And when you, when you look at this passage, he pointed out what you see is that God is actually showing that all of those things, all, all those groups are going to have his spirit. Mm. So women are going to earn a prophesy. Um, male and female servants, slaves, will have God's spirit as well. And then it's going to go to all the nations. Mm. It's not just going to be for Israel. Mm. So it's a reversal of that in a big way. Yeah. So this is a very important passage, and it's in, in verse 32. It shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So salvation is coming. The Spirit is going to come. It's going to fill every person. That's the plan of God and salvation. So the end, the last chapter we see, um, we see at the very end here a pretty interesting picture that reminds me of Ezekiel 47. But it says, verse 18, In that day the mountains shall drip sweet wine, and the hills shall flow with milk. Man, if, if it's a hot day, it's going to be smelly. <laughs> but And all the stream beds of Judah shall flow with water, and a fountain shall come forth from the house of the Lord. So there's going to be this watershed again at the house of the Lord. It's going to have this you know fountain that's going to bring this new Eden throughout the entire world. Same picture as, as Ezekiel, right. the very end of Ezekiel. So a new Eden is going to be established is the picture. So again, Joel... A, a small and mighty book. Oh, yeah. I really do really do love it. Oh, yeah. Very encouraging. Okay, so our last book today, we're going to be going over is the book of Amos. What's that all about? So Amos is set during a time of prosperity and wealth, um, just like just like uh, Hosea. Mm-hmm. It's set in the reign of Jeroboam II, primarily. So like, like we said, there was essentially this, there was wealth, there was prosperity, they, everyone was happy, right? So there was this upper class that was established in Samaria, mm-hmm. which is the north, right? So, And Amos is a shepherd who kind of focuses on attacking those northerners who are rich and who use their wealth to oppress others. Right. So God's given them all this, and they actually use it to turn to injustice, mistreatment of others, and idolatry. And so Amos is going to just take... Throw him into the wood chipper, yep. you know, as a prophet should. <laughs> so he's going to speak also to the nations, like so many prophets do. But his focus is ultimately on the nation of Israel. So he's zeroing in on the northern kingdom and the judgment that's coming to them very, very soon. Mm. So, so chapters one and two, we see judgment to the nations. Mm-hmm. And what a lot of people point out is there's kind of a spiral effect here. So he's going to go to all these nations that are sort of around Israel, and then it kind of gets closer and closer to home. So it ends with Judah. So it's kind of like he's spiraling in, right. and then boom, he hits, he hits Israel last. So there's eight different sort of uh, prophecies against these nations. Mm-hmm. Uh, and on the map, that's kind of how it looks. So chapters 1 to 2 is judgment to the nations. Ch- chapters 3 to 6, judgment to Israel. And then chapters 7 to 9, he has a series of visions that culminate in a vision of the Lord. Mm. And that's kind of where the book ends. Again, a few, few key passages. Um, so much we could touch on, but chapter 3, verse 2, God says, You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. <laughs> that, that makes no sense, right? Wait, so uh, God has known Israel. We saw that in the in the Mosaic Covenant. Yeah. So why is he saying he's going to punish them? Well, because a relationship with God entails responsibility that you have to you have to follow God, right? You have to obey God, and so they have thrown away that relationship. Yeah, it's a it's a covenantal. The covenantal promise works both ways, right? Yeah, God's promising to be faithful. God's people even promise to be faithful. <laughs> Far yeah. be it from us if we shall turn away from this stuff, right? That's right. <laughs> so, 
but they do turn away. So yeah. So God. So then God brings disaster in chapters. Or sorry, chapter three, verses three, three through six. He 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 has a series of questions, right? Which essentially are expecting a, a kind of a of course answer, right? Do two walk together unless they have agreed to meet? Well, of course not. <laughs> Does a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? Of course not. Does a young lion? Right? He asks all these questions, and then his last question in verse six is. Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? Mm. So you're going to face disaster, and it's going to be because God is in control, and God is the one who brings judgment. So you should be very afraid of this. And he's going to bring out this day of the Lord and make really clear the day of the Lord is not something good. It's not something good, right? Like So like in chapter 4, verse 12, um, he says, therefore, thus I will do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you. Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. Mm. So don't think there, oh, meeting God, good thing, right? <laughs> this is like someone saying, prepare to meet your maker. Right. They're not they're like, oh, I want to meet God. I want to meet the creator. That's not what that means. Yeah. <laughs> that means it's a bad thing. You're, you're going to die. Um, God's When God appears, he's going to judge all those things. And we see this some more in uh, chapter 5, verse 18 where he's calling them out. He says, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Mm. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light, as if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him. <laughs> I love this picture, right? So you you finally get away from a lion and then you run into a bear's arms, yeah. right? Or went to the house and leaned his hand against the wall. So maybe you get out of both of those and you, know, you escape both of those animals. So you get into a house and you're tired. You lean your hand against a wall and a serpent bit him. He's saying God's going to get you, right? It's kind of like like Johnny Cash, like God's going to cut you down kind of thing. (laughs) That's terrifying. (laughs) Verse 20, is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it? This is not going to be good for you. This this is judgment on the nations, but you have become like the nations, so you're not going to be saved. Yeah, That's the idea here. And so he goes on, really famous passage, of course, in the end of, of this chapter, but where he says, essentially, I hate your feasts. I hate the outward righteousness. So instead, practice justice. Do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Verse 24, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream, right? Which I can't believe Amos did not give credit to Martin Luther King Jr. when he quoted him. That's yeah, so messed up. Yeah, so messed up. Wow. But you know, to actually live out, to, to practice justice, to do what God commands you to do, that's what God's asking you to do. Right. And instead, you're disobedient, you do outward righteousness. That means nothing. It's empty. Right. So the, the book culminates in these visions, five visions in chapter seven to nine. There's a, you know, I won't go into all of them, but it culminates in chapter nine, verse one, where he sees God. So it says, I saw the Lord standing beside the altar. And then God speaks directly. So it's not through it's not through the prophets, God speaking directly. And it ends with, of course, there's there's God's coming and he's acting, so there's going to be judgment. Mm-hmm. But it ends with an amazing passage of hope. So verse 11, at the very end here, it says, In that day I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen, yeah. repair its breaches, and raise up its ruins, and rebuild it as in the days of old. They may possess the remnant of Eden and all the nations who are called by my my name, declares the Lord who does this. So God is going to restore Davidic kingship and kingdom. That's sort of the idea, right? Bring back the Davidic king. That's a that's a huge deal, right? Because it's it's gone. It's been in ruins. Right. So God's going to restore it. And then verse thirteen, th- this picture of again the new Eden, the the final paradise. 
Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. You're not going to have enough time, essentially, to reap before you have to start you know, plowing again. It's going right. to be, so, be so productive, so full. There's so much, so much abundance. The mountains shall drip sweet wine, and all the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel. And then verse 15, I will plant them on their land. They shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, mm-hmm. says the Lord your God. So mm-hmm. God's going to bring them back, plant them. That's sort of Jeremiah language. Right. Establish them forever, and they cannot be removed if God does that. So yeah. there's, there's always that future hope. I love those passages. Yeah, amen. It ends quite encouragingly. Um, how does the we could talk another thirty minutes about how the gospel connects with all three of these books? Yeah, but yeah. let's let's do some big ones. How does how does this gospel scene and the New Testament scene in light of these passages? I mean, we've seen you know the marriage metaphor in yeah. Ezekiel, so you know Ephesians five and all that. So I won't go into that. Um, there's that that quote from Hosea eleven one out of Egypt I called my son. That is quoted in the Gospel of Matthew when when Jesus is in danger of Herod. Who mm-hmm. looks a lot like Pharaoh, right? Mm-hmm. And who's killing the the children of Israel, right? Uh, and so, just like you know, God brought Israel out of safety from that that uh, genocide. Mm-hmm. God does the same thing with Jesus. Right. So we see that that that's that pro- that's a prophecy. It's it's kind of just a statement, right? I loved and I, I called them out of Egypt, but Matthew shows that that's actually being fulfilled in the life of Jesus. Yeah. That he is the true and better Israel, and so. He fulfills those patterns that we saw in the life of Israel. Yeah, he goes through the same tragedies, and and he wins the victory. He is faithful through yeah. all of it. Yeah. So that's one big connection we see in Romans nine and First Peter two. They quote from Hosea to argue that the Gentiles are God's people. Mm-hmm. So that so Hosea is Hosea is used quite a bit actually. First Corinthians fifteen, speaking of the resurrection, yeah. right? Oh, death, where is your sting? Right. That's that's a quote from Hosea, of course. Mm-hmm. So those are all very familiar passages um, for if you've read through the yeah. New Testament, obviously. I mean, the Acts, the Spirit of the Lord, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. So, so Joel it features a couple times, or Joel features an Acts, and then Amos features an Acts in pretty prominent ways. Mm-hmm. So in Acts chapter 2, we see um, Joel chapter 2 being quoted. So when the Spirit comes, they acknowledge, they acknowledge that this, and they quote from Peter in his, in his sermon, quotes from Joel saying, mm-hmm. God spoke about this. This was going to happen. Remember when he warned you about judgment? Now God is showing the sign that judgment is coming upon you because now his spirit is going out to the nations. Right. And now it's time to repent, right? Tongues were a picture of God's judgment to Israel. Right. It's a whole different conversation, I guess. But um, they're not just, well, I won't go off on that tangent. <laughs> Don't do it, Brandon. Don't do it. Um, and so just like, just like we saw, you know, that they, they thought it was good not to be a slave, a Gentile, or a woman, that God's gospel is going to everyone, that everyone is equal in the gospel, right? Equal in value, equal in terms of how we're saved. And this probably leads to Galatians 3, right? Where he says there's no longer slave, there's no longer male or female, uh, there's no longer Jew or Gentile. Right. Those are those three categories, again, that are addressed in Joel and in that saying that the Jews would pray. Hmm. So he's what he's saying is, again, not that those categories don't exist, right. but that God has transcended that in the gospel right. and brought salvation to all and the spirit to all. Mm-hmm. So big, big deal. And then Amos chapter 9 is also quoted in the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15. So we see some, I mean, the minor, minor prophets, obviously, again, minor prophets, because they're, they're length, they are not minor in terms of their importance. They're quoted all throughout the, the New Testament. Right. They have huge importance. Yeah, small but mighty. Yep, that's right. 
Well, awesome. Well, reflect on these awesome things about the, the, the Lord putting his spirit in us, and we can rejoice in that, um, that he gives us his peace and not his wrath. That's awesome. Amen. So thanks for joining us for Daily Gospel. We will see you next week for the rest of the Minor Prophets.